Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Commons people this week. Is that I cannot countenance Parliament being able to overturn the will of the British people. Just what did Theresa May promise to those Tory rebels? So to move forward, we cannot just cobble together an idea that the EAA amendment puts together. There has to be an end to freedom of movement. Labour MP split over Brexit again. Resume your seat. Resume your seat. Mr Blackford, no, no, you're not moving anything. Resume your seat, young man. And the SNP do what we've all wanted to do and walk out of PMQs. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I am joined by Mr Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. And I'm joined by Mr Paul War. Hello. Hello. It's just us three today, isn't it? Sorry about that, everyone. It yeah. is. Yeah. They love it, really. Everyone turned off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Busy, isn't it, this week? Yeah. We, Too a lot. busy. There was a what? lot. Was, there so was a lot. busy, you need to get on with it. Yeah, I'll get on with it, shall I? Um, Theresa May avoided defeat over a Brexit plans on Tuesday by handing a last-minute concession to MPs in a dramatic day in Parliament. The Prime Minister's bid to overturn a move to give Parliament the power to vote down any Brexit deal and then take control of the negotiations seems set to fail. But MPs ended up back in the government 324 to 298. Justice Minister Philip Lee resigned from his post at the start of the day in order to vote against the government, prompting rumours that an embarrassing defeat for May was on the cards. He ended up actually abstaining after the Prime Minister held a last gasp meeting with potential rebels to offer concessions. Uh, let's have a little bit of uh, what went on during the debate. Here is Mr Ken Clark, who was very good value for money. Here's Ken. The argument that we're undermining the Prime Minister's position in the negotiations is equally ridiculous. It is based on the proposition that out there, on the continent, they don't know there are divisions in the cabinet. is here in the House of Commons and, and actually you know, were a whisper to get out with a, some uh, slightly unusual votes in the House of Commons, this would undermine my right honourable friends and uh, vision and that of the Prime Minister and make it much weaker for them. With the deal done, the question was, what was the actual deal? Here is Jacob Rees-Mogg in Prime Minister's Questions on Wednesday. Whilst it is essential that this House holds the government to account and has meaningful votes on many things, does my right honourable friend agree that it is absolutely essential that the separation of powers is observed and that in any compromise amendment it is clear that the job of the government and the job of Parliament is different? Now, as we record this, we are waiting for the text of the amendment the government are going to put forward to the Lords Bill and it goes back to the Lords on Monday to be revealed and that is going to explain exactly what she offered these MPs to get them not to rebel 
on Tuesday, and it does seem like there's been people saying different things and people, isn't there, on this? Yeah, because you said just then, Owen, you know, she offered concessions, but we don't actually know what she's offered yet because it seemed that the, the kind of Remainers think she, they were told one thing and the Brexiteers think they were told something else. So we're not actually sure if she has conceded what they think she has. I mean, heaven forbid, Paul, that this is the Prime Minister kicking the can down the road on Brexit. <laughs> I mean, you know, that would be unprecedented, right? Well, and <clears throat> I think that's the point. The can can't be kicked any further than Monday uh, when when this actually is voted on or uh, the, uh, the House of Lords actually sees it for the first time. And it's going to come back to the Commons next week. Um, put it this way, either Theresa May or um, Dominic Grieve and his band of merry men or Jacob Rees-Mogg and his band of merry men and women, one of those three groups is going to be found out to have basically broken their promise. And it may be two out of those three because you can't keep everyone happy. There is no single overarching way of keeping all those groups happy. Either the Remainers admit, look, we promised all our supporters we would rebel and actually we've been bought off. Or the Brexiteers say, look, well, we promised all of our voters, the Leave voters, 17 million of them, that there's no way you're going to be able to overturn what they've done. And that's all right. You can't overturn it, but you may be able to delay it if, if some of the if the tough bit of this amendment goes through. But we yet to see what it looks like. And as for Theresa May, well, she will be accused of breaking promises to both those groups. So it's really not an easy situation. What's interesting, though, is that it's a guy called Lord Hailsham, um, Douglas Hogg, the former MP, who's going to table the Dominic Grieve Amendment and he, whatever happens. And the Grieve Amendment is the sort of really tougher version of what the Remainers want, no matter what the government comes up with. And it may or may not come up with something. We'll have to see. But the Remainers have got at least this backstop, you could call it, whereby it's a, it's a tougher version under this plan, basically, by the middle of February in 2019, the House of Commons, if it doesn't like what's coming down the track, if it doesn't like a no deal or whatever, it will have the power to direct ministers, a power to direct them, that's really strong power, to go back and renegotiate. And that is pretty tough. This is, I mean, it's, un- it's completely, it's constitutional first, because normally minister, Parliament doesn't direct ministers no, exactly. when it comes to foreign affairs, foreign treaties, that kind of thing. Completely, and, and you could argue it really is um, a constitutional outrage in lots of ways. I mean, it is it is Parliament overstepping its role in many, many ways. And that's the point say. that Rhys Mogg made, made in PMQ. And he's right, but and the, the other point is that what's in the, in the Brexiteers' favour is that Douglas Hogg, Lord Hailsham, if it does go through as the Lord, that version of the amendment, he's the Romaniac's Romaniac. He's the perfect bogeyman for Brexiteers. Not only is he a guy who claimed on his expenses to clear the moat of his mansion house, he's a guy who's an unelected and hereditary peer. The only people who elected him are more than 20-odd fellow hereditary peers. I mean, that's how mad the world is. And so if it does go through, you, boy, can you bet that the, the Brexiteers and all the Leave voters will really go for him. But I was talking to some um, rem- sort of semi-Remain rebels yesterday, Tory rebels, who weren't the usual suspects, but perhaps the people who were going to back the Lord's Amendment or were thinking about it. And they said to me, that's not Ronnie Corbett then, and they said to me that... They don't really like the third bit of the Green Amendment where the Parliament actually mm. takes control of negotiations. They, they, they feel a bit uncomfortable about that. So we often talk about how Jacob Rees-Mogg overestimates or overstates the power the Brexiteers have got on the party. Is Dominic Grieve, who's the other side of the coin, is he kind of overstating the Romaniac power? I mean, possibly, but you could see that maybe his amendment is, if it's the most extreme version, so to speak, of what the Remainers want, then a compromise from that to a, a lesser yeah. thing of government is actually what 
they really want and will be happy with. So by going further out that direction, you can then build but coalescing the problem is, in the it, it really is a sort of zero-sum game. This either yeah. you do give Parliament that power to direct, or you don't. And if you don't, then you know, the first two bits <laughs> Theresa May can go ahead and basically ignore Parliament's sort of squeaking and squealing. Because the first two bit of the Green Amendment A and B. Uh, it's just the ministers have got to make statements which Parliament can yeah. then vote on. It's not binding at all. Yeah. It's just well, so it does. It, I mean, it, it it does give Parliament quite a lot of power because it it, it basically gives Parliament the right to reject what the government have proposed in but a motion. It's not binding, but it doesn't then it? have a power to to actually. It, it will be binding if it's, but, a, it's but, a motion of the house. But no, but when they come back with their future plan, so you reject it. Minister brings back their future plans. The the Parliament can then reject that. But is that binding? Yeah, because unless Parliament gives its approval under this amendment, right. nothing goes ahead. The problem is you get then a series of sort of, you're in stasis, you, you really are, you know, in limbo land. Because without the part C of, of uh, the amendment, then you've got no way of making sure you know what's going to happen next. And I think we're starting to see the kind of ramping up of the pressure on it. I mean, Tom Tugendhat and Sky about two hours ago said, you know, if the deal's rejected, the government falls. So again, you're starting to see, I think, some yeah. Tories make it the idea that it's a confidence motion. I suspect minister. what we'll get, I mean, we'll, this will be borne out later, but I suspect we'll get something that's not quite as extreme as what people like Hailsham and Grieve want. But um, there'll be some sort of finessed form of words. And the question is, can people be built off? Because I don't think for finessed form of words really counts now. I mean, it's, it will be on that stage. Can we just briefly mention Philip Lee dramatically resigning yeah. to abstain? I know. Like, Amazing. That's a bit. Poor going guy. Home, going home to your wife saying, we've lost 20 grand a year ministerial salary. Well, at least you still have your principles oh, are voted oh, against. Oh, <laughs> well, that, the <laughs> most one. fascinating vignette of the week was when... This backroom deal was being done behind the Speaker's chair in the, in the Prime Minister's office in the House of Commons where all these 14 Remainers were in with the Prime Minister and the Chief Whip hammering out this deal to buy them off to say, look, you know, hold off, we'll give, you, we'll give you something later. So they all agreed to um, back off and Philip Lee's in the chamber comes and they all come back and he, they, he's surrounded by these fellow Romaniacs and he's basically saying, what, what's happening? And they begin to explain. You can see his face and it, his face changes. He's like, oh God, I've just resigned for this? I've resigned, what? So you guys have now been bought off and now I'm going to, what, abstain? Because originally when he first resigned, it was quite dramatic because everyone thought, oh, is there going to be more? And you know, mm. people briefing, we know others feel the same, maybe others will follow. But it wasn't quite the sort of the the uh, avalanche, was it? It was or the landslide. No. It was just the sole pebble of Philip Lee's career rolling down <laughs> oh, the hill. God. Someone <laughs> told me that one Brexiteer texted me and said he's he's a pound shop crisping blunt, uh, which is very harsh. Crispin Blunt, don't forget, tried a challenge against Ian Duncan Smith a year before Ian Duncan Smith actually did fall. Um, uh, I think that's a bit harsh. I think Philip Lee actually. He's got quite a few admirers still on his own benches, despite what he did. Uh, let's move on to Labour, because uh, Labour suffered their own Brexit chaos. What? Shocking news. Labour suffered front bench resignations on Wednesday evening as MPs defied party orders to abstain on a plan to keep the UK in the EU single market after Brexit. Laura Smith quits her job as Shadow Cabinet Office Minister to vote against the Lord's Amendment to the EU Withdrawal Bill that would keep the UK in the EA. But there were five other MPs who quit uh, as PPS's very, very junior people in the shadow government to vote for the amendment. So we had a two-way split there. Of course, in the middle of this, uh, Labour told their MPs to abstain. So you had a kind of 
three-way split there. So in the end, there was 90 MPs who voted, 75 for the EEA amendment, and 15 against. Are you, is, that, is that clear with everyone? Basically, it all went wrong right, in a massive, massive way. Um, here is um, Labour's Caroline Flint, who was one of those who voted against staying in the EEA, with her explanation as to why. And my constituents, who have been insulted those Leaf constituents, day in and day out, by some of the comments in this place and outside, are not against all migration. But they do want to have a sense that we can turn the tap on and off when we choose, but also they want us to answer the question, why hasn't Britain got the workforce it needs? Why is social mobility stopped? Why do we train fewer doctors? Why do we train fewer doctors than Holland or Ireland? And why are these jobs dominated by those in the middle and upper classes so my constituents don't get a look in? And here is Chuka Amuna, who is one of those voted for the UK to join the EEA, saying uh, why it wasn't about immigration at all. But what are the real underlying causes of concern here? Not enough decent affordable housing, the shortage of school places, an NHS in crisis, not enough well-paid and decent jobs. Let us not pretend that all these problems will disappear or be mitigated if we cease participating in the EEA. As honourable members are saying, they will get worse because there will be less revenue going to the Exchequer to pay for these things. Because these underlying problems are no more the fault of European immigrants now than they were the fault of the Commonwealth citizens who came here in the 1960s and the 1970s. So good old Labour, the Tories have one resignation and they go, whoa, 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 we'll give you six and we'll give you 90 MPs rebelling as well. I mean, this was the biggest rebellion under Corbyn on Brexit, I think. So this was, a, this was you know, this it's was a third of the parliamentary party. This is a huge, you know, and how many of the backbenchers is that? Yeah, exactly. Right? And off benches, backbenchers more than that, obviously. This really <laughs> so, so it was a big moment. Down. I mean, we, we did a story at the weekend saying this was coming. Um... And no one denied it that, that several front benches were ready to, to quit. And they do feel quite strongly about it on both sides. What I find fascinating, though, is that the unholy alliances you find in this debate. So you've got someone like um, Caroline Flint, who is, you might say, a lot of the Corbynistas would say, is as new Labour as they come. You know, she served under Tony Blair. She made life difficult for Gordon Brown. She was, she was so, such a moderniser. Uh, and yet she, um, someone who's normally a natural bedfellow for her, Chris Leslie and Chukaramuna, uh, are on the exact opposite side on this debate. And it shows and you that... really falling out in public as well. Very much falling out in public, as the chamber showed yesterday. Mm. Um, and on the, uh, at the same time, you've got people like Laura Smith, who did quit as well, who is on the left, there's no question. She's a big, big admirer of Corbyn. And she found herself in the same camp as Caroline Flint. So it just goes to show how fluid Labour's own sort of yeah. uh, divisions are. It goes are. to show when you've got a majority of 41, like Laura Smith's got, how it suddenly really focuses <laughs> your mind some, doesn't it, when it comes to these things. Yeah, I, just think, I think because, as Paul says, the how fluid it is and how you have Blairites on different sides and Corbynistas on different sides, perhaps the rebellion against Corbyn's orders to abstain isn't perhaps as damaging as it might have yeah. been because it's not as focused. It's not as and when a lot of um, Labour MPs who are seen as anti-Corbyn, you know, like Choco and etc., say this isn't actually about Jeremy Corbyn, it is about I care about this issue. I think actually for a lot of them that is true. So I think Corbyn sort of hasn't been damaged by this rebellion as perhaps he would be in other cases. And as we've seen anyway, he can survive almost but, anything anyway. So, Are we seeing the kind of um, 
we get the, the real sort of the structure of the Labour Party here, the kind of support it has, because you have Caroline Flynn, who was a Remainer, who is now talking this very sort of old Labour language, isn't she? Um, you've got Gareth Snell, who's very close with Ruth Smith, two Stoke MPs who voted differently on this. You have people like Chris Leslie, who I think abstained on the Keir Starmer amendment. So actually, you've got people who you would think would behave certain ways mm. and not. Are we seeing a rejigging of the way the Labour Party, sort of the influence different parts have in it? I don't think so. I think actually it's still the same old problem Labour's always had throughout its history, which is it's got it can never win power unless it, it, it's a coalition of the working classes and the middle classes. It's got to have that coalition, and this debate just divides them right in two. You know, it's not. It's like do you think, do you think it's as simple as that? Yeah, there's like yeah. no other issue that has been so clear cut in. Because Alison McGovern, who's a would would describe herself, I imagine as very much in the working class tradition of the Labour Party. She backed the EA, she blogged for us about why, yes, immigration is a difficult issue, but you shouldn't shy away from it. You must tackle the misconceptions. So she would probably put herself in the, the trucker side, which is perhaps more working cl- uh, middle class side. Well, she would. And But the curious thing is that um, when it comes to this whole migration debate, Caroline Flint's speech was very uh, notable for the fact that she kept saying, look, don't call my constituents racist. You know, they've got concerns about immigration, but they're not racist. And having concerns isn't doesn't mean they want to stop all immigrants. But she did use this phrase that she wants the people want to turn off the tap. Now, that's the sort of language that a, a Tory politician. Could uh, use. Uh, the other interesting thing I thought with the Caroline Flint speech, and this is something which I've been trying to get my head around before. And I think I mentioned this podcast before. She talks about the fact that the UK trains fewer doctors than other countries and and those that are trained are from the middle classes and upper classes she says that her constituents don't get a look in and she was trying to link that to immigration and i've always struggled with this point if you want to make your workforce more um trained up and in better jobs doctors nurses engineers that's the part of immigration you need to control that's the part that shouldn't be freedom of movement you should have free movement of people for the unskilled workers for the jobs that you don't want people to do and no one's ever explained to me how having freedom of movement for the highly educated professionals actually benefits your own people well that's the point that caroline flint was making that's the first one ever heard a labor mp make that well no because actually i've heard lisa nandy make exactly that point she made that point during the referendum as well during the war zone live conference actually she she did and she keeps making this point that actually her constituents you know that come to her when then she knocks on the door and and she kept saying look in the referendum that i'm i'm really worried about um leaving the european union because you know we might lose these these Europeans who are in working in the NHS and people on the doorstep said, well, why should the Europeans have the jobs? Why can't we have those jobs? Why have they got rid of our nursing bursary? Why can't I, as a working class person, become a nurse? It, all those abs- ob- those avenues are being shut down for me. And why don't you care as much about me becoming a nurse as someone from Spain becoming a nurse? And, you know, that's what Karen Flint got to the heart of yesterday. Mm. What she didn't really fully explain was when it was put to her by Anna Subri. Well, that's all very well, but actually... Have you got any evidence that in your constituency, Caroline, there is really high immigration? Is it really immigration or is it fear of immigration? Exactly. And that's the point that Chukamuni made, wasn't it, Ned? He said that these points were made about the Windrush generation. Mm. These points were made about when a lot of the East Asians came over. That actually, and it, actually, and it wasn't born out like that. And actually, as Chuka said in the clip we played, you know, these restricting immigration, taking us out of the single market is going to make these problems worse, less money yeah. going to the Treasury. And actually, there's not, like Paul said, it's the nursing bursary that was axed, which is actually having more of an effect than um, immigration. So I guess that's the trap, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd actually have much to add other than what you said there. I think that's the, the kind of trap the party's in and the country's in of the 
people the fear of a thing is more real than the actual thing itself. Speaking of fear of the thing, let's turn to SNP, shall we? Because the entire cohort of SNP MPs walked out of the Commons on Wednesday after their Westminster leader, Ian Blackford, was expelled for a peacefully challenging speaker, John Burko, during PMQs. Blackford was repeatedly told to take his seat after he demanded a vote on the House sitting in private. This was all in protest about the fact that uh, during the e-withdrawal bill debate on Tuesday, there wasn't sufficient time, they saw it, to discuss amendments relating to the Scottish Parliament and devolution. Here is um, here's John Burko, first of all, considering... Um, uh, in Blackford's request. My view is that it is better for the vote to be conducted at the conclusion of questions yeah, yeah, yeah. to the Prime Minister. No, I'm not. Order, order, order. I always admit of the maximum number of votes and divisions, as the right honourable gentleman should know from his experience in the House, but I hope that he will trust me that I know of what I speak. There can be a division, and it will be at the end of this session, not now. That is the end of the matter. Amid the chuntering SNP MP, David Linden got a right earful from Burke. Let's have a listen. Don't tell me what the procedures of this House are. I'm telling you that there can be a vote at the end of this session, and not now. And after this all went on for a couple of minutes, Burko eventually pulled out the red card to Blackford. Here we go. Under the power given to me by standing order number 43, in light of the persistent and repeated refusal of the right honourable gentleman to resume his seat when so instructed, I order the right honourable gentleman to withdraw immediately from the House for order for the remainder of this Day's sitting. And let's have a little listen to Blackford explaining why he walked out. I was entitled to push for that vote today on the basis of the lack of respect that the Conservative government and Theresa May has shown and showed by their answer. It is not acceptable. I have a duty on behalf of my colleagues, on behalf of the First Minister and the Government of Scotland and of the Parliament of Scotland to stand up against the betrayal that has taken place of the Scottish people with the unprecedented power grab which is taking place. We need to, we must and we will stand up you to defend Scotland's interests. In what was a marvellous piece of political judgement by me, I decided this week not to sit in the gallery for PMQs. I watched it from my desk, I had some emails to do. The one week when something <laughs> bloody interesting happened. You had happened, some emails. I can't believe it. I, believe I was it. there. And I it know was, you were there, It, it was Go really on. electric. I mean, it was a really fascinating moment. You know, this is a very ancient device. It's such a shame that, that thanks to the modernisation of the Commons, they've changed the wording. Sorry, can be... I just say, you have to see the way listeners that Paul rolled his eye. Modernisation of the Commons. But it used to be, you could shout, I spy strangers. I mean, how brilliantly dramatic is that? That's But the language has changed, so it's now I'd write, like to request a sitting in private. What do you guys um, strangers think about them? Well, that's exactly... It's a device. It's a procedural device. It's exactly the same thing that he used. It's just the wording of it has changed. It means I'd like to clear the chamber right now and have an instant vote on something, please. Thank you very much. And and it's very, very rarely used. What It, it used to be used, believe it or not, by the Irish nationalists in years gone by. So the Scots Nats have read their history. It's a great guerrilla tactic. And they could do it whenever they like. Uh, they could 
could do it next week. They could do it the week after. Oh, they do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and but this is interesting because there was a, a a briefing by the SNP afterwards, and they were basically saying that yeah, you know, the gloves are off now. Unless the government actually does treat us seriously, we're going to continue doing this sort of guerrilla tactic. And you can imagine, boy, is it made them popular back home. I mean, they say that they got you know thousands more members in one afternoon off the back of this. It's put them back on the map. It was a brilliantly executed tactic. It was almost like you you know you talked about the referee in your intro. It's almost like um, video-assisted referees where you, they, a guy, the striker, scores a goal and then the ref says, hold on a second, you can't have that, I'm, I'm going to strike it off because it's just not allowed. But everyone in the in the audience says, well done, that, that was a goal, what are you doing? So from the punters out there, certainly in Scotland, they saw it as a goal. And Burke was slightly wrong, right, wasn't he? Because if you look at the actual standing order that he tries to call this vote under... So the vote has to be called forthwith. Yeah. And he then said to Ian Blackford, do you want to call it now? And Blackford said yes. And then Burko went, uh, actually, I think it's better <laughs> yeah. to be the PMQ. So Burko was wrong, wasn't he? He was. Well, we should talk about the reason they're doing it, of course, is they yeah. think that when powers come back from Brussels, that Westminster is going to take powers of fisheries and agriculture into Westminster that they think should go straight to Holyrood. And that's what they're complaining about, which I think is a reasonable thing. They think, you know, they want to use their parliament for those powers. And they kind of denied it was a stunt. But it was a stunt. But it was a great stunt. Yeah. And, well, and it got it got Ian Blackford on Sky News yeah, and BBC News yeah. straight after. If you watch BBC News, right after PMQs, um, Norman Smith, who's a BBC you know, assistant political editor, he's there suddenly live. You hear him saying to the gallery at the BBC, I'm here, what should I do? As all the SNP MPs <laughs> are suddenly behind him. And you get Blackford, who doesn't really get much cut through in PMQs, I don't think, suddenly front and centre. And no one's talking about Jeremy Corbyn or Theresa May. I thought it was, it was brilliant. But it the expertly. question is, obviously, it's a great stunt and a great theatre but in the real world what will the Scottish executive the Scottish government the Scottish parliament do about this will they actually follow through and have the balls to reject this and then trigger a real constitutional crisis because if their own parliament rejects the Brexit stuff then even though the government will argue, well, you don't have the right to do that, then it gets really interesting. Well, Theresa May has promised to devolve, I think it's around 80 additional powers to Hollywood that come back from Brussels. She, she's promised, and they're, they're saying, well, kind of put your money where your mouth is, right? They're mm. trying to make the bill much more prescriptive so that, so that that happens. Um, but like you said, you know, we haven't really talked about the SNP for a while. Um, when they first sort of came down on map, not first came down, but on mass in 2015, when they had all those um, 57 MPs, they were seen very much as the sort of, was 57 apiece? Yeah. They were seen very much as the kind of, uh, the, the only show in town really in some ways, weren't they? Since they lost their momentum a little bit in 2017, this is the first time they've really caught the zeitgeist. Yeah, think? and I think it might also be that part of it, I think, is that, to be honest, I think a lot of journalists in England don't really care about the SNP and would rather yeah. it didn't happen. They have actually haven't adapted to the fact that it's the SNP, not the Lib Dems that are the third party. Yeah. But also the SNP were so disciplined in that first parliament when they got all those seats. It was They were so organised and didn't really stray from their message that I think people kind of gave up trying to get things out of them because there wasn't much sort of, you know, internal SNP arguments that was were being exposed in Westminster and I think people but stopped also, writing they, about they've it. they've got enough numbers to yeah. matter. And that's right, yeah. they've got more than the Lib Dems. So when it comes to things like, for example, the Heathrow legislation coming up, the SNP are really a pivotal force. You know, the government are desperate for SNP support for that, given that they've got their own Tory rebels. And the same on Brexit. You know, SNP votes count. They really do. Uh, let's move on now to uh, my old mates, uh, Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore. Ned's really laughing. They appeared before the Culture, Minister and Sport Select Committee this week. Um, 
Ned, before before you talk us through this wonderful parliamentary event, let's have a listen to Aaron Banks just getting up and leaving because he wants to go and have lunch. Really, we have to insist, like we told a certain time, and we've, we've got a lunch in the point we don't want to be late for. Um, I think actually you, you can join. You can join us. You can join us if you want. We'll be in the um, so house of Commons. The, 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 the does someone want to take a uh, Mr. Max, could you just give us five minutes no. of your time? No, no. You said when you left twenty minutes, and now we've run way past twenty minutes. Well, I like about that clip there was uh, Damien Collins doing the old journalist. Just, just one more question. Just five more <laughs> minutes. Just, oh, please, please, please. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't a good look, was it, Ned? No, go, they were going to have lunch with Ian Paisley Jr. as, yeah. as well. I mean, it was, it was kind of what you expected from the pair of them. But they, the, they, they were there to, to talk about fake news, weren't they? They were talking about fake, thing, right? fake news and allegations that they were in cahoots with Russia during the Brexit campaign, which obviously they strongly denied. Um, Wigmore just said, you know, I met the Russians a bit to try and sell a banana farm in Belize that I was an ambassador for. Um, and that all they got from meeting the Russians was a couple of nice lunches and there's nothing untoward going on at all. But I think what was kind of made it uh, fun to watch was that the two men, they just don't care about what Parliament thinks about them. They don't care about the MPs. When, um, you know, Banks got up to leave, the fact that an MP is saying to him, no, I want to ask you more questions, he doesn't care. He's a multimillionaire. He's got, or is you know, he? well, you know, <laughs> um, he, who just thinks he'll do, he'll do what he likes. Um, it and it was amazing. You had Wigmore doing it, basically just saying, yeah, well, I just, I just lie a lot. Like, and the MPs would say, so, you know, why you said this, but you said this. And you, most witnesses would try and not get caught out. His defence was, oh, I'm just a bit of a liar. Like, did did they bring out a, a brown envelope at one point with the word yeah, top secret written got, on it? He put an envelope that said top secret, he said, was emails between him and the American embassy showing that he'd been thoroughly transparent about any contact with the Russians and he'd always kept the Americans informed about what was going on. So a bit of theatre deliberately to try and get attention because, of course, they both like a bit of attention. And they held up a copy of the evening stand, didn't they, and said, you want to talk about fake news, yeah. get George Osborne in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought, and then he said... How many of you on the committee are Remainers? You were Remainers, aren't you? And they all were. And it was yeah. just... It, they, they started by trying to get Damon Collins to rec- recuse himself from the committee <laughs> because Collins had gone to watch a Chelsea match with two free tickets from Abramovich. They, they were having a great time. You could tell but it was treat, just... But treating Parliament with real... Yeah, you know, yeah. For lads who wanted on about parliamentary sovereignty yeah. during the referendum, this was... And then, and then they gave an interview to The Guardian today, Aaron Banks saying, oh, a bit bored of Brexit now. Yeah. So, Cheers, mate. <laughs> what do you make of it, Paul? You've been around the block a few times. Have you seen anything like this before? It was extraordinary in terms of just how much contempt they had for the proceedings. Um, uh, they did have a point, obviously, by standing up and saying, oh, how many of you are Remainers? You're all biased. I mean, that's a fair point yeah, to fair make. Point, yeah. um, and it would and have helped if there were some well. Brexiteers yeah. on that committee who'd been present, at least. Um, but ultimately, I tend to take the view that actually I don't dismiss the Cambridge Analytica stuff. I don't dismiss the journalism has been done on that. I don't dismiss the fact that if you're if someone like Banks, then you really are potentially opening yourself up to real uh, blackmail and all sorts of other problems if you're too close to the Russians. And there's a real national security issue. There's no question about that. I wouldn't play that down. But the, the, they were right to ridicule the idea that somehow these guys could have affected the referendum result because I'm convinced that that referendum result came from decades of disillusionment by the British public on a variety of issues. It wasn't because of Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore and anything they did particularly because, let's be honest, in the referendum campaign, they they made a, a marginal impact. I mean, Farage had an impact, of course he did, but it, that's disputed. I mean, there's some evidence that he, even his big Turkish post had a backlash against it and turned Breaking people off. Post, yeah. Um, whereas actually most of the 
hard work was done by the vote leave, the main vote leave campaign, which these these comedians had nothing to do with. Mm, I might slightly disagree with you a little bit. Ah, but, uh, well, that's we'll, we'll have this another debate. Another, we'll do another time, shall we? Mm-hmm. Should we do this week's quiz? Yep. This week's quiz is about Russia. All right. All right. My yeah. favourite subject. It is. I'm going to name some people. You need to tell me. Are they members of the Russian government, Ned? Right. Or are they members of Russia's World Cup squad pool? Oh, you're just going to give us a what's, series of surnames what's now, the, aren't you? What's the thing? What's if they're a member of the Russian government, uh, Kremlin Stooge. Okay. If they're a member of the World Cup squad, Kicking Dude. That's terrible. Oh. That's all right, isn't it? No. Indeed. So okay. I'm now going to have to desperately remember my Panini yeah. Team, yeah. team list. And I need you to tell me whether... Um, I can't actually read my writing here. It's too... Hold on. Just make to what? Russian? <laughs> yeah, I've written it in. Cyrillic. Is Sergei Shugu... A uh, footballer or a politician, Ned? Kremlin <laughs> Stooge or Kicking Dude? Sergei uh, Shugu. Politician. Shugu. How do you spell his surname? S. As if this matters. S H O Y G U. I think he is a kicking dude. He is the Minister of Defence. Ah! <laughs> and not like defence as in he's a right, defender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah great. Okay. Uh, it sounded familiar, but that's. Pavel why. Kolopkov. Pavel, Pav, Pavel Kolopkov. 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 I think he's a ki- kicking dude. He is a defender. <laughs> um, I'm going to agree with Paul. Uh, you're wrong. He's Minister of Sport. Oh. Oh. See, he's got the sport uh, angle. Uh, Yuri Zerkov. Zerkov. Yeah. He's a footballer. He's a footballer. How do you know? Zerkov is you're a saying footballer. I don't like football? Why, why is that? You're a Palace fan, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, he is, yeah, he plays for St. Petersburg. He's yeah. played for Chelsea. Yeah, I remember. Um, Igor Akinvev. Yep, he's a footballer. Akinfeyev. In fact, he's the goalkeeper. I agree with Paul. And captain, he seems yeah, very yeah, certain, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Dennis Cherchev. Cherryshev. Dennis <laughs> Cherryshev. Have you said these out loud you before? Got no, <laughs> no, you're insulting no. a whole nation. Yeah. Oh, what are they going to do? Well, oh, I'm scared of the Russians. <laughs> can, can I just say? Uh, poli- poli- <laughs> I think he's a politician. Yeah, politician. No, left winger oh. plays a Villarreal. Um, and finally, uh, Yevgeny Zikhanev. 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 Zinikev. Yevgeny Zikhanev. Which one? They're different. <laughs> Two of them. I'm going to say he's a minister. Uh, I'll, I'll say footballer to be different. He's a minister. I'll give you a million points if you can tell what he's minister of. Gulags? No. Propaganda. Um, you're not far off. Security. Emergency situations. Ah! <laughs> gonna, a lot of them. Emergency situations, yeah. Uh, so there we are. That was this week's quiz. Kremlin Stooge. Can I just say to the, uh, the official Russian embassy in London, I didn't say the word gulag just then. I, you know, <laughs> I really didn't That's say Paul it. Paul War, who's based at the press gallery. Uh, if you wanted to send him any kind of post. I wish you would make light of that. Should we, Ned? What? Well, Russia's holding the World Cup. Yeah. No one surely could impugn their integrity. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, anyway, anyone who's going there, you you going? You going? No, Paul's not going. So Paul can afford that on his measly wage. Right then. Okay, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, if we haven't been taken out by a spy, <laughs> we will be here next week, won't we, Ned? Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.